What's up, everyone, and welcome back to the Boys of MLS Gone Wild, where Blen, Dak, and I, Poopus, bring you the latest in American soccer. All right, Blen, take it away. Poopus came with the fire with that one. What's up, guys? It's Blen. Welcome to MLS Week 8. We're glad to have you guys. Yeah, what's going on, guys? Dak here. Real looking forward to this week. We got some good stuff for you guys. Now that everyone is done watching Tiger King and basically has nothing to watch and they've watched everything on Netflix... ESPN has everyone talking with their their new docuseries, The Last Dance, that highlights Michael Jordan and the Bulls in their quest for their sixth title during their last season together. They aired their first two episodes last Sunday. I can't wait until next Sunday. I don't think Poopus has yet watched, but Dakota, what did you think of the first two episodes? Oh, man, those first two episodes, I mean, they were phenomenal. So much insight. I mean, if they would have aired all 10 hours of that whole show, I would have been up all night watching that. It would have been fantastic. Yeah, if people were binge-watching Tiger King, people definitely would have binge-watched The Last Dance with Michael Jordan. Yeah, absolutely. I'm so looking forward to Sunday. I mean, I tweeted it out right after it was done on Sunday, and I was like, the countdown has already started till next Sunday. I mean, I'm I'm ready to go. I'm ready to watch some more of it, really see how it goes, especially this week coming up when they get into the uh, the bad boy Pistons games. Yeah, that's that's going to be interesting to watch because I saw Michael came out with a quote saying that he didn't like them and he still doesn't like them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, I, I learned a lot from watching that about Michael Jordan. You know, we were all born in, I was born in 93. What year were you guys born in? 91. Yeah. 93. So like we were all still super young and we're all of the LeBron era or LeBron James era. So getting to kind of watch MJ's mentality and what have you is really cool. And it definitely brings a different perspective. And, you know, I would just rule out MJ as the greatest of all time just because I'm a LeBron guy. But it, it definitely brings some perspective to it. Yeah, absolutely. It does. Okay, so we're not, you know, we're, we're a soccer podcast and we're not just talking about this for nothing. We have a little segue. So one of the quotes that MJ said during one of the episodes in The Last Dance, um, our question was inspired by it. His quote said, whenever they speak Michael Jordan, they should speak Scottie Pippen. So basically, Scottie Pippen was there with the Bulls. He won six rings, the same amount as MJ. He's in the NBA Hall of Fame. He's considered to be one of the best players in NBA history. But during his time with the Bulls, he was the sixth highest paid player for the Bulls in general and the 122nd highest paid player in the league. So with that knowledge and the question and the quote that I just asked you guys. So again, the quote is, whenever they speak Michael Jordan they should speak Scottie Pippen. So I think that's Michael Jordan giving Scottie Pippen a lot of respect and credit for the success that Michael had in his career and being able to go down as one of the greatest of all time. So what MLS duo would this quote best describe? Yeah, what MLS duo would this quote best describe and why? Yeah, so when I think of that quote, when I think of... I tried to kind of dig into it a little further than probably the obvious ones, but... Oh, uh, you're taking shots at me. No, I'm not taking shots <laughs> at anybody. I'm just I'm not, like, I agree with you, Dakota. Honestly. It's real easy to get caught up in like the obvious answers about the great players and the greatest imports that have come in. So I kind of dug a little deeper into it. And what I found was, and this one of my, both players I have are great players. But when you speak of Brian Ching, you better be speaking of Dwayne Day Rosario at the same time. Um, And for multiple facts, multiple 
um, things. But when you look at Brian Chink's stats against De Rosario, Brian Chink's a three-time MLS winner, hailing from Hawaii, has two MLS Cups with Houston Dynamo and then one along with San Jose Earthquakes. All three of those championships he's won, he was on the same team as uh, De Rosario. So, I mean, it's easy to say, oh, they were just, they just happened to be on the same team. It's not any coincidence. But when you dig deeper into his stats, Brian Ching's three best years were 2004, 2006, and 2008 production-wise. And in 2004, 2006, 2008 are all three years that he played with De Rosario. So they played together at San Jose. They played together at Houston Dynamo for a couple years. And those were Brian Ching's best production years. Outside of that, there were a couple years where he didn't have the greatest stats with De Rosario. But with De Rosario, his stats were a lot better than without De Rosario. Without De Rosario, he didn't crack more than eight goals in a season. Didn't crack higher than five assists in a season. But with De Rosario, he had three seasons with out of the five that they played together with 10 plus goals. Um, So it's kind of hard to say that Brian Ching, it's not as obvious to say Brian Ching was as good as he could have been if he didn't have, I mean, you look at the two put together, it's kind of a thought about, oh, what if De Rosario was the reason for Brian Ching's success? So for you, you're saying Brian Ching would be like, Michael Jordan and Dwayne De Rosario would be the Scottie Pippen in this case. Yeah, absolutely. I oh, mean, yeah. they have three. They had three MLS Cups together, um, and then including the '06 and '07 with Houston, which were the first two years Houston was even in the league. They were an expansion team in '06, and they won it their first and second year within the league. Yeah, it sounds like Brian Ching really benefited from having a day row there on the midfield and the attacking midfield behind him to provide him with some service. Yeah, and it's like you look into that and like. You didn't think of it like you think, oh, Brian Ching, but you don't look deeper than into like certain aspects of Brian Ching's success. And this just happened to be one that kind of popped up for me and kind of was an eye opener. So it was like one of those thought processes that I kind of went with and did some more research and can somewhat get behind if you're doing the right research and looking at it the right way. Yeah, they're definitely two MLS greats. I think they're definitely throwback names and they're names that we haven't tossed around in our eight episodes of our podcast. So the Brian Ching with the, uh, our expansion team. Did you pick him? Well, I, I chose to like have Hawaii as a, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, because him and Bobby Wood are from, what is that place in Hawaii? Halieva. Can't even say it. That's what it is. Got it. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. But I think, I think that's, a good choice. But Poopus, what do you got? I got a feeling I know because I know some of your best players, but who do you have? Oh, yeah. All right. So I went with Clint Dempsey and Martin. They've uh, they played together from 2013 to 2015. And while while they while they were together, they won the uh, very first U.S. Open Cup for Seattle in 2014 under the realmless Siggy Smith. Dempsey, and then uh, Dempsey ended up scoring the game-winning goal in the U.S. Open Cup. With an assist from Martin. So I thought it was pretty cool, too, to throw that in there for their first U.S. Open Cup win in Seattle history. And then, so, and I was doing a little bit more research. So Martin's ended up scoring 40 goals total in his career with Seattle. He was only there for two years. Played in 72 games, 23 assists. He was named the 2014 Volkswagen MVP runner-up in 2014. And in 31 MLS games in 2014, the man had 17 goals and added 13 assists. Which uh, the goal mark was set for Seattle with... That those 17 goals from Martins, he set a Seattle record for that. 
and he tied the Seattle record for assists in that year also. And then he was named to the best MLS team in 2014 also. And then my man Dempsey, which can never go wrong picking him. Dempsey, he only played in one game in 2013 because he was brought in like in the middle of the season. And then he ended up getting put on loan to Fulham. So, but he played in 55 games in his, like, during 2013 and 2015, playing alongside of Martins. He had 26 goals and 20 assists and made the MLS All-Star team in 2014. But from, I was looking and Siggy Smith said he was like, Martins and Dempsey were hands down one of the best duos up at forward he's ever seen play playing the game while under his coaching career. So, and then let's see here. And uh, so in 85 games played together, and this this was a stat taken in the middle of the 2015 season. Well, the season was still going on together. They had 45 of Seattle's 93 team goals, and that was good for 48, 48.39% of overall total. And that ranked them almost to the top with uh, total goal scores in league history. They were in front of DC United's Roy Lassiter, and Hami Moreno. And Hami Moreno and uh, Lasseter combined for 60 goals in 106 games, and their percentage was 40, 47.24%. So the, and then I think the leading, I was reading, the leading uh, in MLS history was Pat Noonan and uh, Taylor Twelman. I forget the percentage, but I was reading that, found that out. But I feel like without, without, uh, I'm going to go with, honestly, Martins was the biggest one. Because I feel like without Dempsey, Martins would have never never had the success at uh, Seattle that he did. Yeah, I agree. But I think before Abathini Martins came into Seattle, I think Clint Dempsey was already a bigger name and he was well-established within the American soccer community. Being oh, yeah, that I, mean, he, he was, I mean, being captain of the U- U.S. national team and stuff like that. So Right. I think they both share equal credit in each other's success. I think it's I think it was a good pairing, a good duo that you picked, Poopus. But I do have a question. Yeah. When, when selecting these two guys, did you not not take into account championships and what did you what was what did you value higher than championships because they didn't win any together no they didn't win any together but they they pretty much they said they pretty much set records while being the duo together i mean yeah they didn't win a championship or anything like that but they won the very first uh u.s open cup for seattle which that that's a big that's a big deal right there so that's pretty much that's a big trophy for a duo without winning a championship so I mean, they did make it to the playoffs, but they, they ended up falling short. So let me ask you, is Dempsey your favorite, one of your favorite players of all time? Oh, hands down, yeah. Besides uh, Bollock? <laughs> yeah, besides Bollock. What, what made Clint Dempsey one of your favorite players of all time? Oh, man, I mean, him honestly, him being a big part of the U.S. national, te- national team, I mean, he... I mean, he's uh, he's a well-known for the U.S. national team. Every, like, let's see what else. And I don't know, like, I just... I just kind of got attached to him the way he played his style of play because honestly he he's super aggressive and he really doesn't he really doesn't give give a crap about how he plays on the field because there was that uh, I think it was the one year it was the very last year with Martins when he played in 2015 uh, Martins ended up getting an ankle injury in that game and then Dempsey ended up getting a red card and he went over the ref and just tore up his book so I like the he's, he's an angry man when he's on the field and I like that I like that type of play so super I think aggressive. so I think one word that you would be looking for to describe when you're thinking of Clint Dempsey is something that Hayden Partain our our interview guest last week from San Antonio FC he brought up the word grit and how important having grit is I think that's one thing that Clint Dempsey really embodied I think he was the definition of grit uh, he kind of you know and he, he worked his ass off every every time too. Right, right. From from what I know about Clint Dempsey, he didn't come from a great background. He, I mean, he came. Honestly, he came from like a really small town, like a pretty much not 
a really small town in Texas. So there wasn't too much for him when he was a child either. Clint Dempsey hails from Nacogdoches, Texas. Gotcha. I can <laughs> I, I can I can barely say that either. You no, I can't. Na- I can't say that. I can say na- that. Na- Naca what? Nacogdoches. All right, I'm not even gonna try. <laughs> so Dakota, I have a question for you about your pairing of Dayro and Brian Ching. What's going on? So I kind of talked about when asking Poopus the question about, you know, within the U.S. soccer community, I think uh, Clint Dempsey was more popular than Obafini Martins. So in your pairing of Dayro and Brian Ching, who is the most popular within the American soccer community? In my opinion, I think Brian Ching gets a lot more attention when you look at the greats or like you look at the top players who have come through the MLS I think just I think Brian Ching gets somewhat of a bigger mention than sometimes De Rosario does because De Rosario plays in a lesser prominent position maybe and I don't think he gets enough recognition sometimes like he deserves I mean he's has so many really good seasons with goals and assists and I just to me when you think of when you think of that Houston team back when they were in the early late 2000s before 2010, like 06, 07, when they first came into the league, who's the first person you think of? You think of two distinct names, really. I mean, you think of Brian Ching and then sometimes, I mean, another player who gets a lot of uh, mention is Stuart Holden just because he's from mm-hmm. Houston and stuff <clears throat> like that. But you don't really hear of Dwayne De Rosario in those Houston early days. And then you also had, uh, what was his name, Brad Davis that played on the national team and he played for Houston also? Yeah. So I just don't I just don't think when you talk about that Houston Dynamo team, you necessarily think or remember that Dwayne De Rosario was on that team. Didn't De Rosario have dreadlocks? Yeah, he did. Oh, man. Classic. That is classic. Yeah, so I just I wanted to ask that since I asked Poopus that question as well. So And I mean, I might be completely wrong, but like unless you're from Houston, I or like a major MLS analysis or like a major MLS junkie who like literally studies every fact and remembers those every small details. I don't think I think I can favorably say that you don't think of Dwayne Day Rosario isn't the first person that pops to your mind when you think of those Houston early days. Yeah, it's a hard name to say, so I'd rather say Brian Ching. <laughs> Not saying that Dayro wasn't a great player because, you know, if you, you were growing up in that time, there were, you know, central midfielders and central attacking midfielders to look up to, and Dwayne Dayro was definitely one of them. Yeah, absolutely. So if y'all is done, I'm going to go ahead and get into mine. Uh, you know, I think Poopas and Dakota threw a little bit of shade at me earlier saying that they, you know, wanted to dig dig a little deeper and do some research. And, you know, they said there there's some obvious ones out there. And I may have picked an obvious one. Those of you listening could probably speculate and guess. Um, but my duo is David Beckham and Landon Donovan. So basing my argument on the amount of, like, hype and media attention the Galaxy got upon Beckham's arrival as compared to MJ, I'm basing my argument on the production that Landon Donovan provided while Beckham was the main attraction there uh the two championships back to back that they won together and bruce arena kind of dubbing as the galaxy's version of the bulls phil jackson so to begin with early in 2007 when 2007 when david beckham got there um landon donovan was not stripped but he relinquished his captaincy to the international star of david beckham so you know at that point landon donovan had proven himself within the league not only at san jose but he's also proven himself at the championship uh with the, with the galaxy i think i said la twice but he won with San and then with the Galaxy soon as they brought Beckham in I think LA had a, a point to prove with bringing in the star that they are immediately going to make them or make David Beckham their 
their captain. So like Pippen, Donovan had plenty of personal MLS accolades, which I'll get into later, and championships. But all of his accolades and his previous championships were kind of overlooked and overshadowed. You know, the amount of hype and media attention that David Beckham brought to not only LA, but to that team as well, and to the MLS in general. It was really all eyes on Beckham in his first season in 2007. He sold 250,000 Beckham jerseys prior to his debut. Um, in his first season, they sold 11,000 new. They sold tickets to 11,000 new season ticket holders. The Galaxy signed a sponsorship deal with Herbalife worth 20 million dollars. Really, what he did was bigger than those three things that he just said that I just said. But he popularized American soccer and sold out stadiums across the MLS. I know that we've kind of talked about all of us skipping homecoming. I think it was our freshman and sophomore year to go watch David Beckham at Columbus, you know, Columbus Crew Stadium, which is, you know, currently Matt Free Stadium. But that's what people did all across MLS stadiums across America. And not only within the MLS, he brought worldwide attention to the league. So just like MJ, you know, he it wasn't just what he was doing in America. What he was doing, what Jordan was doing for the NBA and what David Beckham was doing for the MLS was bigger than just what was going on in the MLS. It brought it got the attention on a global scale. Uh, so that's one of the reasons why I picked the David Beckham Landon Donovan duo. But one of the other reasons was, you know, Landon Donovan kind of was the Scotty Pippen of the Galaxy at that point. Like he was a great player. He had all the accolades, but all eyes were always on MJ. So while Beckham was in LA, Landon Donovan was named MLS best 11 five times in uh, David Beckham six years there. Landon Donovan was the MLS MVP in 2009. He was the MLS Cup MVP in 2011 after scoring the game-winning goal against uh, the Houston Dynamo. And all of this that he did, he did all this while Beckham didn't achieve really any notable personal accolades. So David Beckham, you know, he won those two MLS Cups, but he and he also won a U.S. Open Cup championship. But he never, he was never named to the MLS Best Eleven. He was never named the MLS MVP. He was never named the MLS Cup MVP. Um, so even with David Beckham being the headlining name, despite him going out on loans a couple times, Landon Donovan was still producing and still getting those those accolades. So speaking of producing, so in their back-to-back championship seasons, they won in 2011 and 2012, both games against Houston. And the 2011 and 12 season combined, Landon Donovan scored a total of 21 goals and had 17 assists. Uh, David Beckham provided nine goals and 29 assists. So both of those guys, Landon Donovan and David Beckham were both accounting for 38 goals in those two years. So that is, that's remarkable numbers. I didn't have the chance to pull up the numbers for how many assists David Beckham provided to Landon Donovan, but for both of them to account for 38 goals apiece between those two years is really, it's unbelievable that they were producing at the level that they had. And then they had a guy like Robbie Keane on their team as well, which I'm not really going to get into, but the fact that they produced those numbers and they still had another star is crazy to me. So one thing that Landon Donovan has in common with Michael Jordan is the six MLS Cup titles to match Michael Jordan's six. David Beckham has two MLS Cup titles. So in their back-to-back years, Bruce Arena was the head coach. And so Bill Jackson went on to win 11 NBA championships. He's also the leader in NBA championships in the NBA. So both of those guys are the leaders in their respective league and their respective sport in this time. So I think all of those things taken into consideration, I think they would be the best fit for the quote whenever they speak Michael Jordan they would speak Scottie Pippen in my case it would be whenever they speak David Beckham they would speak Landon Donovan 
So I hear you on that. But when Lynn Donovan played with Robbie Keane, they won three MLS Cups together. You said David Beckham yeah, won two. And, and I asked you the question, you know, do you pri- prioritize championships? And obviously, yes, that's something you have to look at. But I, I, I could argue that David Beckham was more than just a player. He was a brand. His name was bigger than Robbie B. His name compared more to MJ than Robbie, Keane, Robbie Keane's did. No disrespect on Robbie Keane. He, you know, he like you said, he won three MLS Cups with LA Galaxy. But at the same time, I think David Beckham's name obviously has a little bit more traction. And like I, like I just said, his, you know, he's more than just a player or a name. He's basically a brand. Which, you know, at this point, MJ is is a brand with his Jordan shoes. And so, uh, you know, they're they're both big time I mean, players and big time producers on their court or on the field. And they're you know big time brands at this point. I mean, pretty much David Beckham was. Pretty- almost the face of adidas too because yeah i mean he had his own cleats and he's a big sponsor for him also yeah exactly and just like the way that mj brought in revenue for the nba the same thing with uh the same thing with david beckham he brought in crazy amount of revenue sold out stadiums they went on you know tours overseas they played against international teams and you know same goes with mj i think in one of the episodes they were i don't know in italy or somewhere over in europe and they were playing teams that they were really just going to blow out but the people that came out and absolutely just loved and wanted autographs and take pictures with MJ over there. He was an international icon, which David Beckham was as well. So that's the main reason I picked him. Um, and, you know, Lane Donovan was a great player in his own respect. I think he just kind of got the short end of the stick when David Beckham got there. Not saying that he didn't still, you know, get the accolades and the awards, but I feel like every time David Beckham was either on the field or in the spotlight or, you know, anything. It was always the David Beckham show and Lane and Donovan was just kind of, you know, not just there for, but he was performing and not necessarily getting the credit and, you know, the media attention that was due to him. So when you, so I have a question and this might be a little bit different. Um, but when you talk about the championships, uh, if you talk about Jordan and Pippen, I feel like Jordan kind of needed Pippen to win those championships. And I think you're trying to get at the same thing with Landon Donovan and Bex, if I yes. do believe. Yeah. Am I right? they, needed, they needed each other. Beckham yeah. wouldn't have come to the MLS and won without a Landon Donovan or without a player the caliber of Landon Donovan. Or, or or Robbie Keane. Okay, so you're trying in that you kind of answered my next question. You don't think Bex could have won anywhere else within the MLS? He would have. You know, obviously LA is one of the biggest markets. Um, I think that he could have won elsewhere within the MLS in a big market. He was going to go to a big market no matter what. That's where they're going to get the most publicity, and that's ultimately what he wanted with coming to the U.S. But I think he could have won in multiple markets, you know, if him and Landon Donovan were in New York or if him and another really good player at that point were, you know, at another big market team that could bring in other, you know, one or two big players around him. I think Landon, not Landon Donovan, I think David Beckham could have won multiple places with either the talents of Landon Donovan or talents that are very similar to him. But I think that David Beckham really needed another good player to to adapt to the league and stand out in the league. So I think Landon Donovan... You know, being that he was still relatively youthful and still putting up huge, huge numbers in production for the LA Galaxy, just like he did for San Jose. I think, you know, like MJ said, when you speak David Beckham, you should speak Landon Donovan. Okay. That was my kind of question is like, what if he didn't play with a Landon Donovan, if he played with, say, like uh, Dwayne Day Rosario or just because he's fresh on the mind or like somebody who didn't get much credit or like wasn't a big name player, but still good enough to kind of help that player. I wondered if you thought he could win without like such a high pro- 
profile name. Yeah, he right? needed a boost, and he also needed a coach like Bruce Arena to come in. Um, he's a coach that, you know, he won two titles at D.C., and he ended up winning three at L.A. He's a coach that can handle high-profile players, can really get the best out of the talent, you know, either the big-name talent or the, you know, whatever talent he's got, he can kind of string together. But something that Bruce Arena is really good at doing is handling the personalities and making, you know, the great players play great together, not just individually. So I think that was another piece of the puzzle uh, as well on top of the David Beckham and Landon Donovan piece. Yeah. So boys, that was a really good discussion. I'm happy that you guys had some questions for me. Uh, you know, you guys were giving me some flack all week about picking the obvious one. So thanks for, thanks for shooting some shots my way and, you know, poking, poking the bear and seeing what I had in response. So recently there has been some rumors going around um, with, you know, as the league is losing millions and millions of dollars due to the, the pandemic of COVID-19, the MLS, Don Garber and the owners, are considering cutting player salaries. What do you guys think about that? Obviously, like, um, I mean, MLS soccer players already don't get paid all that well. I mean, especially like having a sport, like a sports team in America. You look at basketball and baseball and football, and they get paid millions and millions of dollars, even for like just like not being the top players. Some players still make more money than a, than a single MLS player, and they're talking about a fifty percent pay cut for all MLS players. It's I don't, I don't know. I just I just don't like it. I mean, it's hard. It's easy to say you don't like it, which I don't think anybody will say they do like it. But I think at some point you have to do what's necessary for the league. Well, yeah, but I mean. Um, what is, in the like, long term, like if, if taking a pay cut now allows the league to continue on for instead of going into bankruptcy or something like that, it would be good. But I think so. I'm not sure how like it would suck to get your pay cut below 50 uh, up to 50 percent right now. Um, but it's hard to say that it's the right or wrong thing to do at this moment, knowing there's so many other implications surrounding it. Yeah, I mean, like I. I understand that because I mean, right now, like especially with this whole COVID nineteen go going on, there's, I mean, I don't like it, but they're probably probably gonna have to do it because they're talking about playing soccer games when with no fans or anything like that. So they're not gonna make any revenue off that anyway. So yeah, so unfo- uh, unfortunately, yeah. so I've talked about this with coworkers, friends, my girlfriend. With everything that's going on, I give credit to the people that are making decisions. I've gotten to the point now where I'm done criticizing what is being done not only at my work or other places and the state of Virginia or the United States as a whole. Um, I don't think that there is a good solution to this. I think the powers that be are doing the best that they can, but we all have control over ourselves individually. Uh, So to relate it back to this, I don't think there's a great solution. I think this is a solution. I can't knock the solution. Uh, Dakota, I believe before the show, you said Don Garber is even going to take a 25% pay cut. Yeah, he's taking a pay cut. Middle managers are taking a pay cut. The entry-level employees will not have their um, salaries affected. Um, And then also players who are making the 50% cut is only being subjected to players who make over 100000 So if you make under, if your annual salary is under 100k, you're not being affected by the 50% cut. And I, I think that's a really smart move by the MLS. When I first read this and I didn't see that detail, you know, there's players in the MLS making like, so in 2019, the lowest salary player was $56,244. So like if you're getting split in half from that, then come on now. You, I mean, 
you you can't live off of that you know it's i think it was smart on their end and they were really advocating and looking out for you know some of their younger players or their underpaid players in that regard so you said that players that get paid under 100,000 aren't getting their salaries cut. Um, so just, you know, because of everything that we're talking about and the research that we all did, I think we all went back. And so the average salary in 2019 for an MLS player was about $346,000. But it's crazy what the range was. That like the actual listing of the player salaries from highest salaries to lowest salaries. And I just gave you guys the lowest with 56,244. I honestly didn't even recognize the player's name. I couldn't give it to you. I didn't type it down. But Zlatan made 7,200,000 bucks in 2019. DP rules. And plus it just goes off of like, if you're a big, big name market team and then you have money to spend. So Yeah, exactly. And Poopus, I know that you talked about... Um, like the NBA, the MLB, and the NFL, all those guys making buku bucks. So with the MLS yeah. only, the average salary, like I just said, is about 346000 You know, there's obviously some outliers there. But the NBA, you guys want to guess what their average salary is? Probably like So their average is $7.7 7 So the 40 mil is high. <laughs> oh, 40 uh, million was very high. I mean, in words, it's like almost the same as when you compare MLS to NBA, though. 7.7 so, so yeah, so let's think about this. The NBA's average salary, 7.7 million, is just higher than what Zlatan was getting paid in the MLS, and he's the highest paid player. Highest paid player. That's that's a little crazy to me. So other numbers for leagues across America. The MLB, just over four million dollars is the uh, the average salary. NHL, two point seven eight mil, and the NF the NFL two point seven mil. Does this surprise you guys how low the NFL's is? Why not? I mean a little bit because I mean you look at these NFL, NFL players like I mean they pretty much lock themselves out because they want they want a bigger contract and stuff so they're always I mean I feel like NFL players are money hungry a lot too I'm not sure I'm not yeah you can say players are money hungry but at the same time how much are agents money hungry I mean you see that issue in European soccer all the time it's not the players who want the higher transfer fees it's the agents because right. then they make more of a cut yeah, that's that's very true so since we're talking about money, the MLS Players Association collective bargaining agreement came out, I believe, in February. Um, in that, in that, they talked about yeah. some kind of money increases. Dakota, do you want to touch on that? Yeah. So the new CBA rules, uh, new CBA agreement, not rules, came out in February. It was agreed in principle uh, between the league and the. MLSPA, but there it never got to final approval or formal approval by the MLS Board of Governors and the MLSPA, which in turn is a big aspect, big idea, because it then never got ratified into the terms that would correctly make it suitable for both parties. Um, the the major like aspects of the agreement got agreed to, but the tiny details didn't, which one of the tiny details that weren't uh, ratified was the fact that there was no clause within that uh agreement in regards to a forced cancellation of the league um so there's no like leverage there for really either of the parties really for the players there's not much leverage there to say oh you can't do this you can't do that um so it's tough they both parties are really in a tough situation here yeah some of the other things that came out of the collective bargaining agreement are they're 
focusing on up until so this is through 2024 um yeah it will expire the this current deal will will expire january 31st okay so some of the other highlighted things since we've been talking about money and the mls cutting players uh salaries over a hundred thousand dollars so in this new collective bargaining agreement they're looking to increase investment in player spending so that's going to be the salary budget and the general allocation money something else to come out of that is the targeted allocation money has been moved to general allocation money so it looks like targeted allocation money is gone and general alloc well target tam targeted allocation money is not gone completely but it will significantly decrease through the years i think the final in 2024 it will get down to about two million and something and some change so there i was looking on the mls website they you know i hear the terms thrown around all the time by you know people that are doing mls podcasts or mls analysts watching live games they're really hard to understand to be honest with you but when it comes down to it, they're basically just supplemental funds to your salary budget, and they just have restrictions on how you can spend that money. So the MLS, just like a lot of American sports, has a salary cap. One league that doesn't have a salary cap, soccer league, is the Premier League. So the Premier League in in England does not have a salary cap. The teams can basically buy and sell players internationally and domestically as they please if they have the money to do so. And since 1992... In that league, in the Premier League, only six teams have won a title. So in 18 years, only six teams have won um, a Premier League title. So flipping that to the MLS, we do have a salary cap. uh, And basically, the salary cap, from what I've read, is kind of in place to promote competition and fairness across the league uh, when it comes to like spending and selling Uh, spending money on players and selling players. So to speak on the terms of the fairness and the competition of the league, and the MLS is 25 25 years, there's been 13 different teams to win the MLS Cup. So what do you guys think is the way to go there? Salary cap, no salary cap, restrictions on money, no restrictions on money? I think it's best to me. I don't think the salary cap is promoting us as high as it could. Um, And I'm kind of going to, dig into our next aspect that you were going to bring up but the Wayne Rooney comments from this past week about the MLS not reaching its full potential I think it does hinder the MLS a little bit just because we're not like Rooney said we're not getting players in their prime um our league could be so much better than what it is I think if we could get players in their prime but we're not able to because we're not getting they're not going to come over here for the amount of money that they could easily make over there within a week in comparison. They're to not going to play here if here. they don't get paid here. And, yeah. yeah. And I think, and that's, I mean, and that's the hard, honest truth pretty much. I mean, you don't want to hear it. You don't want to say it. But when we look at the best players who have come through our league, how old are they? Like 28, mm-hmm. 29 plus within their twilight years. And it's just, it's not allowing our game to grow as high as it could or the popularity to grow as high as it could. Imagine us being a prime Wayne Rooney or a prime Zlatan Ibrahimovic because they were allowed to use the money. Like imagine the players that would come over from Europe to play in the U.S., if we were able to spend money freely or within regards to the fair play um, amounts within Europe. So like it would, it's just not hindering our league in a whole, 
by not getting being able to get the best of the best within their prime. Yeah, and if MLS truly wants to become one of the you know elite leagues, we're not even the most elite league in North America, you know? No, absolutely. So if we want to become that, we need to at least open ourselves up to adopting more of a, a Premier League model or a European model. Not saying that what they're doing is bad for business because they are still bringing in good players even though they're a little bit older um the competition is relatively fair we have more championships spread out across the mls field than the premier league does but at the same time the quality of play in the premier league is is so much better and they're able to spend that money and they're able to bring in players the most elite players from all over the world at a young age in their prime so it could be something to really look at. It's just like I mean, I know, but go ahead, go ahead, Dakota. All right. Well, I, I know like the uh, I'm to begin a lot, a lot of younger players, but like, from like the South American region, like you get a lot of players from like Liga MX and stuff like that. So I mean, and I know MLS, like Liga MX, have been talking about you know pairing up with the MLS also. So I mean, kind of makes sense that you know Liga MX or Liga MX players want to come to MLS and play here because I mean they're getting. They're getting a decent amount of money to come play here, so. Yeah, yeah, I saw that, too, and I was going to bring it up, and I'm glad that you brought it up. So, I think that would be good for both both partnerships. I think that the MLS is probably the more popular league just because we get the names that we get. Despite them being older, I think we have more of a a global reach. But Mexico in general, like, when you look at CONCACAF, they they, – dominate us CONCACAF Champions League like they they run through us despite them not having the big names they're paying their younger players big money and they're developing them so they can export them uh, I was just beating Pupas and FIFA 4-1 to one, actually with Napoli and they have Chucky Lozano you know Chucky Lozano was playing within the, the Mexican League and he got exported out to to Napoli and you know that's what they're doing they're paying their young players because they know that they're gonna um, they're gonna get their money back on the investment that they're giving their their players, so I think it's good for it would be good for both leagues to explore that option, and eventually somewhere down the line, I wouldn't be surprised if it happened. And then like the TV revenue, TV revenue would go up for soccer in North America for the MLS also if they did that because right now off TV revenue they're only make, making nine million dollars. Oh, you so that'd be a big step. For you were ready. Or just there. imagine the popularity that will come from doing this. Like imagine the popularity or the stadiums packed if like prime European talent at the in their early twenties or middle twenties were coming over here. Every stadium would be packed no matter what team was playing. It wouldn't be and they would be scattered throughout the league, I think. It's not just the fact that they would go to these big market teams where a small market where a team's only selling out a stadium every time that certain team comes to the, comes to town. It, like, popularity would grow immensely, I believe. Oh, yeah, without a doubt, because, I mean, soccer in Mexico is huge already, so, and then if you pair them up and bring them, like, bring that culture to the United States, it's like, it's, it's gonna bring the money up for the revenue for everyone. Yeah, and I feel like for the MLS, you know, they, you know, they, every once in a while, do bring in players from, from Europe at a, at a relatively young age and players that are, you know, beginning to blossom and beginning to stand out, but but for a lot of those players, they're coming over here on loan and then getting sent back out to their their respective teams overseas. Yeah, and it's it's I don't know. Yeah, it's frustrating. Yeah, it's good for the time being for the league. You know, it it drives the talent up, it drives the viewers up because the talent's better. But then you know, after a season long loan, the player goes back. So you know, the MLS is trying to perform a balancing act on you know what is going to be our money structure for these players. What do and it ultimately comes down to what do they want the league to look like? You know? Yeah, I mean, 
everybody's talking about the European style compared to the MLS style and how it would never work because of the winter months over here and stuff like that. We're not, get this, we're not saying to change the calendar of the league. That's not what we're saying at all. If you're listening and you think we're trying to say to move the calendar, we're not trying to say move the calendar. We're just talking about financial situations and the way we can increase the sport without moving the calendar because we can do all these things without moving the calendar to a more European calendar. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Because that's like the first thing people think think of when people say, oh, the MLS needs to become more like the European style. They're like, the first thing people bring up is the calendar. And that's not, we can do everything the European leagues do and keep the same exact calendar. And I think uh, the skill level American players would go enormously up with with playing against Liga MX teams. Yeah, the competition would increase. I know that we kind of talked about the DA last week. If the DA does decide to bring in uh, Mexican and Canadian, you know, developmental academies to play against our young youth American academies as well, I think that will help drive the game up. So ultimately, I think a partnership between the two countries and the two leagues would be would be really beneficial for both of the leagues from a financial standpoint and from a talent standpoint. Yeah, I agree with you. So, boys, I think that we had a a great conversation tonight. Do you guys have anything else to add that you guys would like to talk about? No, I think I'm good. Like, it was a a damn good episode. That's for sure. Yeah, I thought it was good. Uh, Topics were good. Discussion was good. Yeah, I'm just, I mean, we're all on the edge of our seats here about this whole MLS thing, whole soccer thing. Really excited to see whether the Buddhist Liga comes back May 9th. Like, Taylor Twelman tweeted, shout out to Taylor for keeping a lot of people in the circle of soccer knowledge and soccer news but hopefully that comes back so we get some sort of soccer going on some sort of sports i'm sick and tired of watching esports competitions between athletes and fans or whatever it is and rather see real sports whether it's behind closed doors or not behind closed doors i really need something back in my life here yeah we're uh, we're all waiting for sports to come back but more importantly than sports you know this is this is bigger than sports this is bigger than a lot of things so we're just hoping that everybody's continuing to stay home stay healthy stay safe Um, we appreciate you guys listening to our podcast if you guys would like to give us a follow on twitter i think we'll probably be putting up at least one poll this week about our duos that we have selected and who you think the best duo is so give us a follow on twitter it's going to be mls gone wild at mls gone wild uh, we just created an Instagram account this week as well. That is going to be MLS Gone Wild Podcast. There's underscores between each word. So MLS underscore gone underscore podcast. So give us a follow on there. We're uh, trying to provide content on all of our social media um, web pages and apps. So give us a follow, interact with us. We greatly appreciate it. Uh, help us get our name out there anyways guys thank you this was mls gone wild week eight we appreciate everybody listening like i said earlier you guys stay home stay safe stay healthy we'll catch y'all next thursday peace